4: this on hello Hello?
0: we're all science people
3: science exactly
0: we know it's a good idea because it's lasted
2: there's chemistry in here there's biology in here
0: it's in whiskey it's in ice cream it's in who you fall in love with
2: rules And, and ethics and everything else
4: we can make the world better for everybody starting now Welcome to Science Rules. I'm your host, Bill Nye. This is the show where science rules. It's a call-in show, so if you want to be on the show, and I hope you do, please go to askbillnye.com and type on in. I want to hear what's on your mind. I want you to call me. We will do our best to use science to help you work it out. And I am joined, of course, once again, by science writer, editor, and dear friend, Corey S. Powell. Greetings once again, Corey. Bill, 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 Bill. It's great to be here. Every day I hear about artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence. In fact, it's so prevalent, we don't even have time for all those syllables. We just say, AI. AI is going to take over the world. AI this, AI that. Man versus, uh, woman versus AI. AI. So will it, will it take over the world? And if so, how will the world look afterwards? And does an artificial intelligence system, which we created, we presume some programmers, some code writers created an artificial intelligence system, does it perceive the world the same way we do when it takes over? Will we have any role in the future here on the planet whence we are native? Well, to discuss this, We are joined today by Ashley Lawrence, Chief of the Intelligence Systems Center at Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab, APL as we call it, in our own uh, beloved Laurel, Maryland, here in the United States. Greetings, Ashley. Greetings, Bill. Uh, Thank you for taking the time to come in. Now, I walk around the world minding my own business. Everybody is talking about AI, AI this, AI that. We're going to use AI. AI is dangerous. AI is genius. What, what is artificial intelligence?
2: Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, we have big, big hopes and dreams for this thing called AI. Um, maybe backing up from the A for a minute, like what do we think about as intelligence? Um, I, I like this uh, definition by a, a gentleman named Max Tegmark, uh, who's a physicist at MIT. And he talks about intelligence is the ability to accomplish complex goals. What's complex? So it could be, you know, sometimes they talk about, you know, the machine that collects stamps and maybe the complexity is in the world, uh, you know, which it has to navigate to get those stamps. Right. Um, so it could be a simple goal or it could be a complex goal, but the world is complex. And so that really imposes that uh, the difficulty there. And so you could think of humans as as pursuing goals. Right. So we've evolved to uh, use these brains we've got um, to stay alive uh, long enough to procreate. And have a little bit of fun along the way. And that's kind of how we use our intelligence, right? And so you can think about now machines. What, what kind of capabilities would we need to give to machines to be able to pursue goals on our behalf? And I always like to talk about comic books or popular culture to kind of talk about what those capabilities might be. All right? A- any fans of the Marvel movies? You guys follow the Marvel movies yeah, at all?
4: But keep in mind, I'm of certain age. I got acquainted with Spider-Man and the Hulk through a print medium. What? But, yep. Yes, I'm yep. familiar with the movies. Take it, Ashley. All please. right.
2: Well, and for the record, I have a I have a paper copy <laughs> of The Infinity War um, from way back in the day. So I remember the, the paper copies as well. So we're talking about you know, intelligence as the ability of machines to accomplish goals in a complex world. And, you know, uh, maybe Marvel can give us some insight. So at APL, we talk about machines being able to perceive and understand the world Um, To make decisions about how to act, to pursue goals, to carry them out in a physical complex world, and to do so as part of a team. So, So think about this notion of perception. All right. Jarvis. Right? Jarvis. So Jarvis, when Tony's in the suit... Is, is a perception agent for him, right? So he's got sensors. Jarvis has sensors. He's interpreting all that. We're, ta- we're talking about Tony Stark and the and the Iron Man movies. For that's the, right for those uh, coming or in late.
4: Or the uh, Iron Man comic books, people. or the comic books. Yeah, crying out loud. So, so Jarvis is sort
2: of seeing the world in ways that Tony can't. Jarvis is connected to, you know, the Internet and, and all the knowledge, uh, you know, the sum of human knowledge, and he's interpreting all that to help Tony in that, in that situation that Tony finds himself in. So Jarvis is perceiving and understanding the world. So in order to pursue goals on our behalf, machines have to be able to see and understand, perceive and understand the world. So now that you've got some understanding of the world, right, you have to actually be able to decide on what to do about those goals. <laughs> right? How do I change the world in some way to make them more consistent with my goals? So we call this decision making, right? Now I like to talk about um, the complexity of this. If you think about, uh, there's a scene in Infinity War when Doctor <laughs> Strange. We're, 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 we're moving on this uh, Marvel uh, thing, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a scene in Infinity War when Doctor Strange is sort of hovering in the air, and his his head is sort of moving around, uh, and then he says to Tony, "You know, I, I looked at 14 million different possibilities, and we win in one." Right. So this this notion of decision making is about, you know, predicting how actions uh, will play out in the future to be able to to use your intelligence to pursue those goals. But you know what my you know, he says 14 million. And my response to that was, that's it.
4: Yeah. Only 14
2: million? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you look at, you know, the game of Go, for example, a really complex game, they talk about there's more pathways through the game as you and I make choices as opposing players than there are atoms in the observable universe, a really Whoa, big number. Oh dude. It's for effect, right? But, I mean, I think it'd be 10 to a much greater exponent. And so you got perceive, decide, and then you got act. So now let's talk about vision. Right? Vision is a sort of robot. Um, you know, he's the embodiment of Jarvis. You know, he sort of created a sort of robot. And what I'm, what I'm always fascinated by is when we look at robots in our popular culture, they just navigate the world with ease. You know, whether it's, whether it's Jarvis as Vision or um, whether it's Baymax in Big Hero 6. You know, there's a scene in Big Hero 6 where Baymax inflates in the bedroom. And he's this big lumbering thing and there's these tiny narrow passageways and he's sort of scooting through. That, that's actually really difficult for a robot. Um, and so robots aren't really there yet. If there was a couple of years ago when DARPA held a robotics challenge, and there's a really awesome bloopers video from that challenge uh, online. So I, DARPA's
4: should... Defense uh, Applied Research. Uh,
2: advanced Research uh, Program. Uh, projects? Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. There we go. there <laughs> tax
4: dollars at work. <laughs>
2: See, I get fired if I don't know how to – if I okay. know what that Well, we won't,
4: don't want you to
3: get fired. <laughs> okay. Well, so, so hold on. You're getting to – a One of my biggest questions about AI, which is one day I read an AI taught itself to play Go and became the greatest Go player in the world. And then the next day I see this robot with AI managed to stand and take a step and everybody's saying, wow, this is such an advance. So why is we have these programs that can play Go and they can play chess and they can play Jeopardy and they can defeat the greatest human mind, but they can't like walk around through a kitchen?
2: Yeah, that's interesting. So that's, I think there's a lot about our human intelligence that we take for granted. This is actually a really difficult challenge. Um, I have to have, in order to navigate the world, a model of myself and my geometry. Um, in,
4: your, in your brain. You
2: in mean. my brain, right? A
4: mathematical model. Yeah. And I am this, this big, my arm can reach this far. Yes.
2: So there's a, you know, they call mm-hmm. it kinematic model, which is kind of the geometry of myself, my body. Um, there's a dynamics model where if I sort of, actuate my joints in this way it results in these sorts of uh activities um and so all that's sort of happening under the hood and humans and so it's a lot of work to make all that happen under the hood and robots
4: under the bonnet if yeah, you're under a the British bonnet. listener
2: yeah so a lot of that happens just naturally for us and it can be really challenging to get robots to do that um, you know especially when situations are unexpected so you've got the boston dynamics robot that can do backflips um, and, and sort of in those conditions. But now if you take that robot and you put it in unexpected conditions, put it in the jungle or something, right, can it still do those backflips uh, in a new situation?
4: A pothole, Exactly, a curb.
2: exactly. Oh, yeah. All the variation of the world. We talked about the world being complex, and so even trying to do something simple in a complex world can be a challenge. And this is why we don't have driverless cars running around just yet. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, it's because of all the unexpected situations that they may find themselves in. And uh, the difficulty of thinking about that teaming relationship between the human and the driver, right? in the
4: human and the car. Yes, between the human and the <laughs> car.
2: So even if you could make the car smart enough to know when it was in a situation where it shouldn't be driving, could you guarantee that the person is ready for the control to be transferred back at that time? Isn't the whole point that... The car is going to drive itself, and I can focus on other things to some degree. Will I be ready when it says take the steering wheel?
4: Well, look, uh, Ashley, you know, this is a call-in show.
2: Oh, it's definitely a call-in show. And
4: so this is where we really get the conversations directed by the people who want to, uh, by our listeners, our fans. So who's on the line, Corey? Uh, We have Taylor on the line. Uh, Taylor, are you there? And uh, where are you calling from?
5: I'm calling from uh, Ontario, Canada. There you go. And what's your question? Uh, Well, before I got into my question, I just want to do a brief thank you. Uh, I wanted to say that the Science Guy sparked my interest and desire to learn about the world and and natural phenomena in general. And uh, not only have you provided uh, me and my peers with a passion for science, as they grow into adulthood, you remain a bastion of reason in this uh, staunchly anti-intellectual society.
4: Right on. thank you for everything
5: that you have done and continue to do.
4: Thank you. So you're in Ontario. Did you watch it on The Crawl Space? TV Ontario? Uh,
5: Well, I actually watched it in my classroom a lot. It was like an excuse to get out of... uh, (laughs) I know, I know. I've (laughs) I've taught
4: countless science classes uh, electronically. So (laughs) uh, thank you. But uh, do you have a question?
5: Yes, I do. Um, So I'll get into it. Uh, Since AI and machine learning have become so much uh, uh, deeper and uh, over the past decade have kind of exploded, I wanted to know if it was possible to have an AI learn a multitude of languages and their nuances and adapt the AI to become an instant and accurate translator or interpreter.
4: That would be cool. Well, you speak English and it comes out in Russian.
5: Exactly.
3: Precisely. Right. This is like the Star Trek universal translator. Is that, is that a real possibility? Is that something that an AI could do?
2: I think that's a real possibility. That seems to me like something we'll see within the next decade or so. Um, I mean, you're already seeing pretty amazing translation abilities. You know, you you put a string of text in one language, you get a string of text out in another language. Um, A string of sounds, you know, a sequence of sounds or words in one language getting it out in another. So we're actually seeing that sort of, you know, transcription from speech to text, text to speech, translation. We're seeing a lot of progress in that uh, from machine learning uh, deep learning, things like recurrent neural networks apply to those, those kinds of Oh Things of like recurrent
4: neural networks. Yeah, you just,
2: <laughs> just, just dropped a couple terms there so that, hang I, on. that I'd like to dig so into. So hang
4: on, <laughs> to Taylor's question. This is a great question, Taylor, I think. Fantastic question. So if I understand this, if you're going to make a translator an audio translator where someone speaks in one language, it comes out for somebody else in another language, automatically, including to Taylor's point, with the nuances, with the the little subtleties that really um, uh, give the real uh, communication, give communication its its true meaning. All right. So this is going to require a machine interacting with a fluent person. Is that right? Now, will that fluent person have to be fluent in both languages in order for the machine to get the right answer?
2: I think, yeah, I think you're onto something there. So, first of all, I think that the degree of nuance is really the dial we have here. So if Oh, you, there's degrees. There it, are, well, so course, Right? Yeah. So, so if, you, if you don't require as much nuance, that's easier. The more nuance and subtlety you require of the machine, the more that time horizon for making this happen <laughs> it pushes out farther. So, so, you can think about, you know, a degree of well, you complexity can, there. I
4: think about texts. Yeah. Sometimes texts convey all you really need to say. Other times, what did you, why did you send me that, man? (laughs) You suck. Well, you don't mean that. (laughs) Yeah.
2: So. But you're right. I mean, you, you would have to have, in in a sense, training data for the machine. This is what you're talking about when you're talking about deep learning? Uh, What is deep learning? Right, right. Um, But just, just to finish the thought on the, on the nuance, I think you would have to have nuanced translations of things for the machine to learn from. Right. But now let's talk about what machine learning is. And that'll get to your question about deep learning. All right. So, machine learning. Typically, uh, you know, we've been programming computers for many years, um, and you know, I, I had the turtle, the, the turtle uh, programming the turtle in, in elementary school as a way to learn programming. Right? Go five steps forward, two steps to the left. Uh, yeah. So, so you can program machines very precisely, but I think in recent, you know, in recent decades, we've sort of understood the limitations of that. Um, it's not possible to send a really, really complex machine out in the world all that uncertainty following a really precise program. That's where you get machines that are really brittle and they break in the face of the real world.
4: And we make fun of them.
2: Yeah, and they're fun to to make fun of. Machine learning is all about uh, having, basically allowing a machine to program itself, um, to reprogram itself uh, from data and experience and to learn and improve over time. So instead of me precisely programming it, I'm basically saying, here's an input and here's what a good output looks like. Here's some pixels in a camera image or something like that, and here's the label of an object that's present in that. You you learn for yourself how to translate those pixels into the name of an object, for Uh example, right? And so what happens inside that box? That's a function that now the machine's going to learn instead of a function that a human's going to program very precisely.
4: All right, so I speak in one language, and what's the machine doesn't have the other end to compare. When we're translating into, what did I say, Russian?
2: So this is the difference between what we, in machine learning, we talk about training and test. In training, we give it the answers, just like you would a person. This is an input, and this is a correct output. And you give it like a mil- millions of those, <laughs> right? And now in test time, when you deploy the system, now it's going to have, you know, an input, and it has to guess or predict the output. So when you now when it's you know on your hip and it's the universal translator test time you know uh, training time's over it's test time I'm going to give you a bunch of questions and you have to figure out the answers for And so
4: either the Russian speaker is going to go is going to smile and thank me or just haul off and slug me depending on how the translation Yeah, if you, if up.
2: you wind up in a in a cold Russian prison then you know something went wrong. Dog well, <laughs> we, we
3: have a we have a prospective customer on the line. So Taylor, what do you want your translator to do? Why, what what made you ask this question?
5: I'm a linguistics student. Uh, I've studied oh, at uh, Queen's University in Ontario, so
4: And you're uh, <laughs> as a Canadian, you're bilingual, I sh- I imagine, yeah?
5: Uh, Precisely. My mom is French-Canadian, and my dad's Croatian, and I speak English, so it's a whole uh, (laughs) melting pot here.
4: So do you speak three languages, then, well?
5: Um, Two languages, pretty well. The third is not so much, just because the Croatian isn't as uh, prevalent in my life as it used to be. So, uh, yeah, to answer your question, though, about uh, as a prospective uh, customer... I think the main thing is bridging that gap um, in, in how it sounds so robotic like if you even if you use like a Google Translate for example right now the stuff that you receive on the other end just doesn't feel very good like even reading it in another language you just like I get what you're saying but that's not how you say it like it's almost the case in every language it's getting better and better every day but uh, that that little bit of difference that that little bit of human
4: the nuance. I guess. Uh, or the nuance. nuance. Exactly. Nuance. It, I, um,
5: I feel like that could be bridged with uh, with like an iterative process, like you were saying, like that machine learning.
4: So are you looking for a job, Taylor? Is that what you're saying here?
5: <laughs> well, currently <laughs> uh, I'm between jobs. So <laughs>
4: <laughs> this is a great question, man. Thank you for asking. Well, thank this you for is your like, interest. <laughs> no, no. This is the perfect question, like where you're a human and you can tell the difference between – what you really want it to say and what it's saying. You could, as a human, that's nuance, is the issue
2: yeah. that
4: makes everybody crazy.
1: Stick around for more Science Rules after this.
0: This is a big year.
1: Science Rules is back.
3: So th- so this is a fascinating field you're in. I want to know how you ended up
2: here. I
1: yes. Mean, it, it,
3: that...
2: Yeah, so, I mean, I really found my way into this field by accident. Um, you know, being a, a kid from, you know, the south side in the south suburbs of Chicago, I always had a fascination with science and just how the world worked. Um, I watched Bill Nye on TV. I love you, man. Bill. <laughs> Bill.
4: God, Bill, wow. Bill. It's none of my biz, but how old are you? I'm 40. You're 40. And you used to watch the show. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Oh and, and, you, and you look
3: amazing for 40, let me just you say. You look
4: pretty good. Man. Well, hey, thank you. And you know what?
2: This is a podcast, so your users cannot verify this information. Exactly. So let's just go with yes. that. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, I wound up in the field by accident. As much as I kind of had a fascination for how the world worked, and that drew me to science and engineering, um, I was also sort of drawn to hip-hop. And, and when I looked at the two things, I saw people that were like me in one, and I saw a field with people that were not like me in the You're other. You're
4: talking about your skin color, your ancestry. And yeah, like yeah. That. Being
2: a being a young black kid, right? <laughs> so in some ways, I kind of thought, well, maybe institutions are not the best way for me to pursue my goals, right? So, uh, you know, so my interest in science and engineering carried me through a degree, and I showed up at Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab again. Kind well,
4: of. What do you mean it carried you? You got it, you. For some reason, you applied to college and you did well enough in science to get to go to applied physics lab. What the hell? What do you mean?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I skipped over a few steps there. But yeah, so both of my parents were teachers. My dad went to the University of Illinois at Mm Urbana-Champaign. I I went there as well. You know, academics were emphasized. I was good at academics. Um, You know, it's a challenging engineering curriculum there. I made it through that. Um, What was your branch? Um, electrical and computer engineering, signal processing. I'm mechanical. Okay.
4: And if I had it to do again, I think I would maybe get into antennas.
2: Okay. But I, again, I never really knew what being, being a professional engineer really meant when I considered the kinds of institutions that I would be at, you know, doing, pursuing a career in engineering. Again, I just, for somebody that's sort of from my background and kind of more on the creative side, I just didn't see it being a fit. So I showed, up
5: the, <laughs> I showed up at the Applied Physics Laboratory. Engineering's
4: very creative, people. You make yes, stuff.
2: Exactly, and that's what I discovered. Um, but my plan on day one was to stay there for one or two years, fund my record label. and oh, then
4: fund your record label. Yes, yeah. and then go off and be a hip-hop artist. So what happened?
2: Well, the reality is when I got there, um, I had more fun than I thought I would have. Um, I have discovered a, a, a discipline that was fundamentally creative, you know, taking all the great knowledge being generated in the, in the different fields within science and turning those into technologies um, to improve lives. I mean, that's kind of how I see the field of engineering. It requires a lot of creativity. Um, and at the same time, I sort of discovered AI through machine learning. So I started working on uh, building underwater robots.
4: With the green lasers to find their way around or something?
2: Well, so, yeah, so you can use lasers underwater, but more often uh, you'll use sound. Uh, because uh-huh. cause sound travels much better underwater then than you're light like does. Pinging with sonar, exactly, or listening with, with, with sonar, um, and so so all so different than in the air or in space. Um, you know, all of the situational awareness for something under the water comes from sound, or, or the vast majority of it. So you're making the robot see with sound. So I you know I kind of got into that and th- thought it was really interesting. Um, what really,
4: about your hip hop career?
2: I was doing that too. So let me, let me give you a sense for some of those years. Right. So I would, I would go, I would take a four day weekend. I'd be working on machine learning, you know, on, on Wednesday evening, Thursday, I get on a plane and this is a real trip. I went to Amsterdam. I did a show. I did a record signing at fat beats record. Cause I was still putting out records. I came back, and then Tuesday I was back working on Support Vector Machines again.
4: So, Fat Beat Records, that (laughs) was you? Fat Beats. Okay, so can you lay down some Fat Beats for us? Can you give us a brief track? Okay. What was your hip-hop stage name? Solstice. Solstice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Like June 21st. Yeah.
3: Or or December
4: 21st. Or December 21st. Were
3: you a summer solstice or a winter solstice kind of
2: guy? I don't think I thought about it that much. Because
4: uh, he's this putting soul of- like, oh, your
2: soul. S O U L. Yeah, yeah got it. This. All right, so here's uh, here's an example of a of a verse from one of my albums. Um solstice i'm rock solid to the core hit you with the raw so hard you'll holler at the floor advanced planning we ain't gotta stop you at the door dog the booth will explode soon as you hop in the record i hold my own back down blast nouns and spray paid dues yesterday and gotta back down today you got no background background your way that's why you already lost soon as you sat down to play it's do or die tactics invisible to the human eye oh hair from bwi and then cruise the shy y'all the cats they pull it shooting and pull aside we the type of cats that bulletproof when the bullets fly I'm Genghis Khan way beyond playing pawn I got the world in my palm and a girl on my arm so st- stay blazing never settle for warm we several levels beyond whatever level you want come
4: on Woo! all right <laughs> that was so awesome. I reference to the BWI and O'Hare Airport <laughs> <laughs> yeah so and you I decided was, to stay at work
2: I decided to do both so I released five studio albums I've toured in Europe and Japan I'm a member of the Recording Academy and vote on the Grammys every year. I've been to the Grammys a few times. So I just great. decided to do both. Oh, that's great. So I, I can find you like on Spotify and other you things? You can, Spotify. Uh, just, so look, look, for, look for Solstice and yeah. There you are. Yeah. Now, look, I don't do it. I'm not as active as I used to be, um, but that's primarily because I had kids. And I made, kind of made the choice to start a family. And, and I've advanced in my career in engineering. So it's not so much that I punch in at eight, punch out at nine, or you know, t- taking the four-day weekends now, I take a day off to come talk to Bill Nye in New Thank York, you. Thank <laughs> you. Well, versus well, going well, to do on. a does, show in Amsterdam. Does, does having kids, has that also has that affected the way you think about AI and where you want to go with it? It, I mean, so you know, we were, we were talking about driverless cars earlier, and it's a great litmus test to think, you know, could I ever see myself putting my two kids in the back of a driverless car, walking away from that car, and then you know, sending it to to bring them to school? It, it makes it. Um, it, it it makes it real, right? When you think about safety, when you think about ethical situations and dilemmas, when you think about how you take this complex artificial reasoning system and make it work un, you know, in, in a way that's safe under all these unknown, unexpected, uncertain conditions.
4: I got to think a guy like you would imagine that happening in 20 years without too much trouble. It might be your grandkids. Yeah. I think there'll be a time where we'll just say to each other, You let humans drive cars? Like, wow. (laughs) Right. Those You let people? Right.
1: Science Rules will be right back. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley.
4: We have Ahmed on the line. And, and uh, whence are you calling? Where are you calling from?
6: I'm calling from Dubai, from the Emirates, oh, that, United cool. Arab Emirates. Oh,
4: that's great. Cool. Yeah. So go ahead. What's your question for uh, Ashley?
6: So here's the question. Uh, since you guys were talking about trusting uh, machines or rob- robots in general, uh, for the sake of human development, is there an area, function, role, or industry where we should not allow AI to operate so they basically don't force us to rely too much on them, uh, forcing us to uh, to hinder our own learning and development.
4: Le- legally barring artificial intelligence systems from something. Is there, any, is right, there a pl- something places
6: where, or Practically
3: or ethically, it makes sense not to apply AI and, and intelligent robotics.
2: Yeah, that's interesting. Oh, over time, I think there will be fewer and fewer of those areas. In general, I don't think, I think...
4: Is there one now?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, you, you think about Decisions where there's human life or human health, decisions where a data set may not tell the whole story, uh, and you really require human reasoning, uh, you know, so for example, um, life or death decisions in healthcare, you know, um, and think about making life or death decisions autonomously with an algorithm according to actuarial tables or something, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Um, Somehow it feels like that's the right space for human reasoning and ethics to sort of still uh, you know, reign, uh, reign supreme, or...
4: Yeah, we've always got to think it was a miracle that he lived through it, whereas a machine might just let the guy die. Yeah, as, yeah ex- exactly. I paraphrase, yeah.
2: Exactly, so, but um, I think there's an interesting nuance in the caller's question, um, and this is this notion of the atrophy of human skills over time. The and so
4: atrophy of human skills.
2: Yeah, I mean, so so it may be that there's a lot that robots can do or machines can do better than us over time, but the question is, do we want to not allow that, at least during human development? This
4: is Ahmed's question. This yeah. is
2: his question, right? So I think, like, for example, I took martial arts when I was a kid. I've never used it, <laughs> right? Like, I've never been in the equivalent of a, of a Bruce Lee kind of a street mm-hmm. fight. I, I took it, right? I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, you know, um, so it's atrophied over time. But, I mean, I think during, during our formative years, there may be a lot that machines could do for us that maybe we shouldn't uh, allow for, for human development, like driverless cars. Probably we should still do something akin to driver's ed, even though, you know, we may have more competent driverless cars in the future. So I think it's a really insightful question. I think there is a difference, though, between where we want to artificially set machines aside for the purpose of human development versus once we've taken care of that, where we can take advantage of, of those particular skill sets that AI brings um, in, in kind of the operation of the world. Well, well, Ahmed, you must have something in mind of something that you want to preserve for yourself
3: where you don't want to allow a machine? What, what were you thinking of when you were asking this question?
6: Well, uh, not necessarily. I had anything in mind in, in particular. What, what I was thinking of that throughout the years, there's like, for example, kids now uh, are teenagers or whether they're in their 20s, they're going back to their school years. Like, I didn't really learn anything from trigonometry because they didn't get into science. So if, for example, like in 10, 20 years, I'm getting my iJarvis from Apple and it breaks, no one on the planet will have the ability to actually fix it other than the, the AIs or the robots working in the factories that Apple owns. So if there, there's going to come a point in time where we won't be able to fix the things that we're actually using or depending on.
3: Right, this, is idea, this idea that we might end up in kind of a, like a black box society where stuff happens for us and we have no idea how.
2: Yeah, I think fewer and fewer people will need those really low-level skills, but we'll still need those people to fix the machines. Um, and so I think there will there will be in the foreseeable you're future. Just,
4: you're just trying to make him feel better. No, I
2: th- I think that's true. <laughs> I don't think machines right now can bootstrap themselves in this way. Well, so
4: this gets in Ahmed. This is a great question. Thank you very much for calling. But I want to take it uh, one more click. All right. So what seems to me makes a human different to Ahmed's thing about um, what would you not permit a human human to do versus a machine is humans have a desire to make art, especially. Now, that could come from our obsession with sex, that we're trying to make kids and what have you, is we have a motivation to make the world better, a motivation to affect change. Uh, maybe sometimes, I guess, for the worse, people want to smash stuff. But is there, are there going to be machines that have that motivation? Where does that come from?
2: Yeah the the motivation is the motivation part is tough. I do think as you as you say as humans we have sort of fundamental drives. You know it's it's interesting. I mean think about the differences between human intelligence and artificial intelligence, right? So human intelligence is the product of evolution,
4: HI we call. it.
2: HI is the product of evolution. <laughs> AI is the pro- is the product of HI.
4: That's right.
2: <laughs> right? Yeah. So uh, If you're an evolution, you know, a a person that leans towards this, you know, way of understanding how we got here, which I do, um, then all these drives are sort of useful for something. You know, staying alive, procreating, and maybe having, you know, entertainment as a byproduct of that.
4: Shelter, food, keeping
2: warm. Exactly. But so in my view, then these things must have been useful for something in the context of those human goals. Um, so, so our goals are inherited, and I think we're still trying to, from this process of evolution, and I think we're still trying to understand the kind of the, the nature of our own intelligence. Now,
3: well, well, here, so let me ask you: This is a very topical issue that you're touching on. Uh, this question of embedded bias, where you know the the human intelligence, you know, we're creating this artificial intelligence with this idea that it somehow seems more objective, but we're the ones creating it, and we're put kind of putting our own expectations and biases into it, and so you see things like you know facial profiling or, or bi- you know, biometrics that are designed around, you know, the kinds of faces of the people who write the software? Or, you know, how do, how do we make sure that we're not creating this artificial intelligence that just basically, like, recreates all the Problems and the bad things we're already doing, and now we kind of institutionalize it, and
4: kind and of embed it in our world. We don't realize that we're doing it.
3: It's wow. a fa- yeah, <laughs> yeah. Basically, you know, you know, you know, we have you, know, you have these you know these algorithms on YouTube that are sort of leading people to Nazi videos, and people get upset about that. But it's a deep problem. It how, is. How do you deal with yeah. that?
2: Yeah. Well, it's a fantastic question, and I oh, think, thank you. Well, yeah, I think that. Um, the first thing we have to do is come to terms with the fact that people have these biases. We have to confront our biases and call them out. Um, and, and not in a way that uh, is necessarily fundamentally judgmental. Because I don't think that bias is fundamentally bad. It just is what it is. Um, and when it comes to a certain kind of decision
4: making. Like your bias toward better tasting food.
2: Exactly. It's or, a, it's or a useful bias. saving life. The question is, is the, what are the set of biases at play? And are they useful for this particular decision-making, right? So, like you said, I'm biased towards better-tasting food. That's going to help me not get poisoned or something like that. Uh, On the other hand, if you look at, um, you know, let's say a computer vision algorithm that's been trained. You know, I I I set up a camera, uh, and everybody that passes by uh, the camera forms, uh, you know, the training set for the machine learning algorithm. Uh, And it just so happened that I put it in a certain neighborhood where everyone had light skin. And now I'm going to put this into a car, right? It's going to be the vision algorithm for a car, and I send it into a neighborhood where most people have dark skin. Well, the performance is going to be different. There's an inherent bias just in the data. Um, so the question is, you know, how do we, as we train computers, how do we recognize which biases are present and control for them? And it gets uh, at, a, at a kind of one click deeper. It gets to understanding the cause and effect relationships, You know, right now, machine learning is a lot about pattern recognition, correlation. When I see these kinds of things, that typically means these other kinds of things. So,
4: pattern recognition is different from cause and effect
2: recognition. Absolutely. It's fundamentally different. That's
4: cool. All right. So, the Turing test, how do we tell... A machine from a human, right? This is Alan Turing, the guy who invented a way to break the Enigma code and some crazy, amazing and, and idea.
3: A, and a pioneer in artificial intelligence. Yeah.
4: How am I going to be able to tell if the, right, if the machine produces the right outcome? How am I going to be able to tell that it did it uh, by reasoning, artificial reasoning, or it did it by uh, top-down programming?
2: So this is um, pattern
4: recognition.
2: So on one level, if it did the right thing, don't that's, look big, don't look at gift, gift horse <laughs> in the mouth. Maybe that's good <laughs> enough. Um, but but you know, one level deeper than that, though, there is this notion of uh, this word explainability. That's in AI. Um, and this, this, this idea that somehow we, we would like to open, you know, uh, uh, look, be under, look under the covers and kind of understand why. Um, under the bonnet. Yeah, under the bonnet. Thank you. Understand why a machine makes the decision it does. Um, with an explicitly programmed machine, this is very easy. I set a breakpoint in the code. Uh, I inspect the variables at that point. I can kind of understand. Um, when we have machine learning algorithms where machines are kind of learning for themselves, you know, functions that translate inputs to desired outputs. Uh, and there's these complex uh, networks, whether it's a you know, neural network or some other kind of machine learning algorithm. It can be a lot harder because the machine has programmed itself in a way that kind of by construction is not the way that I would have programmed it <laughs> or else I would have just done so.
4: Um,
2: and so it's a real question. I think we're really searching for the answer as we try to get to a point of explainability um, in these really powerful machine learning algorithms.
4: OK. And Bill, we have another caller on the line. That ties right into this. Here, here's hoping, let's find out John, you're out there Hi Where are you calling from?
7: Uh, I'm from Dallas, Texas
4: There you go, in the United States What's your question for uh, Ashley Lawrence?
7: So, real quick, I just wanted to say, Bill uh, Even though I'm only 19 years old You were one of my biggest influences uh, To pursue a career in science
4: Right on And what I'm a
7: sophomore you... at Baylor University Oh, cool Oh,
4: what are yeah, you am
7: majoring in environmental science
4: oh, Right on Cool Well, we need you
7: yeah, I always hear you talking about how important it is to have you know younger generations pursuing science.
4: That's it, and man. I
7: greatly respect your advocacy and your urge to educate climate change.
4: Thank you, man. But all that aside, <laughs> no, that's great. Do right. you have a, do you have an artificial intelligence related question? I believe you do.
7: I do. So, uh, although AI offers countless benefits, you know, in medicine and engineering and agriculture and just everyday life. Uh, I'm sure as you guys know, humans have a tendency to use the advancements in science for warfare. And so is there a real threat of developing superintelligent AI that poses a serious military threat, unlike,
4: you know, what we've ever seen before? Okay, okay, before we even begin, Ashley, I don't know what you do at the Applied Physics Lab, but I know three quarters of... The budget just sort of disappears.
3: It comes from Uh, government
4: grants. Yeah. (laughs) There are quotation marks. But I can tell you, uh, John, there's a lot of artificial intelligence in military systems as it is. So take it, Ashley. Should we be terrified? Right. So— um,
2: as you point out at the applied physics lab, a lot of the research that we do is in the service of national security, research, that's yeah, what they research call it, and development, research. Um, national security, space exploration and health. So that's kind of what we do at the lab. Um, as you point out, I mean, it's like saying, man, I wonder what would happen if, if physics ever got in the hands of the military, <laughs> <Or> <laughs> wonder what they would do with calculus. <laughs> right. I mean, in some sense, uh, it, it's kind of becoming ubiquitous. It's just, you know, Uh, Machine learning is becoming the way we do computer programming in some sense, Um, you know, and it's everything from you know a system that has a perception capability, you know, a um, you know logistics kinds of kind of a system where a driverless car can deliver a resupply, you know, to a
4: like the just in time in a car assembly. assembly line.
2: Yeah, exactly. The Amazon last mile logistics equivalent for, you know, the 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 army or something. The
4: red doors show up with the red unibody to make the red car automatically.
2: Or even to the back office functions. Like, you know, can we, can the government, can the DOD, Department of Defense do its accounting more efficiently, (laughs) right? So it's sort of-
4: Here's what I think, John, uh, embellish this, if you will. But I think what you're afraid of, John, is that these artificial intelligence systems would have a motivation they would. They would have a desire, right? This is Skyrise der-
3: Terminator and Skynet take and all over
4: that. the world. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, are they going to do that, Ashley? Or is that what you guys are working on?
2: Right. So, I, so let's get deeper into this question because I do think it's a really good one. Um, we see, you know, these paradigm shifts, you know, in in economic value. Um, in the foundations of national power. Um, we see potential for these paradigm shifts as AI becomes more advanced. And so this is absolutely, as a society, something we should be worried about. Look at what's happened, and I'll, I'll get back specifically to the military, but just look at what's happened with Silicon Valley, right? And you look at um, automation and retail, and you see this paradigm shift that Amazon has ushered in, and now how lopsided the industry is you know, as a result of it. And so now you're getting, you know, let's say a few tech companies that have, uh, you know, really kind of asymmetrically benefited from these things.
4: Like what do you mean? Like Amazon is benefiting more than brick and mortar stores? Sure. So there's
2: a whole shift in the economy Mm -hmm. towards these things. So now you can look at that and say, okay, well, is there something as a society we should do to make sure there is a balance, whether it's economic or whether it's national, you know, military power, et cetera, that's maintained um, in the face of these asymmetric, you know, paradigm shifts that, that AI can, can bring about, you know, as we've seen with Silicon Valley. Um, and I think that we should. We should be concerned with this. Um, as we're developing the acute technologies, I think we have to keep this in mind.
4: Acute technologies?
2: Yeah, yeah like a, a specific system. No. You know, a, a, you know a, a vehicle for the Army or, a, a, you know, an autonomous plane for the Air Force or something. We have to make sure that that system's used in a way that uh, conforms to some kind of ethics uh, I think that the nice thing about you know the United States is that we're we're our military reports to a civilian government, and I think the the most important thing people can do is be engaged in this process as a society. We need to decide what are ethical uses for uh, you know for AI in the military and in other kinds of uh, industries like health. But and, and does that worry you about how other countries might deploy AI, AI then? Uh, it well, it does, <laughs> right? Um, And so in some sense, I think the the strength of our international coalitions are going to have to be brought to bear to make sure that, you know, again, as a For the US as a society but then also as a species that we kind of figure out. Well, what do we want to do with this stuff? How do we make sure that in the long run uh, these technologies are really made to serve human human society goals?
4: So John You got to vote. Yeah, be sure to vote. (laughs) So that uh, artificial <gasps> intelligence doesn't become motivated to destroy us all,
3: right? And talk, you can and do ta-
4: this, man. And
3: talk to other people to make sure that they're aware of these issues.
4: Yeah. And so, thanks for calling, John. This is you. You motivated yes, a, you so a very important uh, response here. Thank you so much, Corey. Corey,
3: wait, 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 wait.
4: What's happening?
3: It's not raining in the studio, so that must mean it's time for a lightning round.
4: Yes, that's the sound of thunder, Ashley, means that there's lightning out there And now there's lightning
3: st- in here. Yes,
4: discharging from the ground to the cloud, the cloud to the ground. So yeah. here, are you ready for the lightning round? Sure. What is your favorite Terminator, the movie or the robot?
3: I mean, like your favorite Terminator movie, your favorite Terminator robot,
2: if you had to pick a Terminator. Uh, I'd pick, I'd pick the, the very first movie. All right. A young Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, you know. uh, Kicking. Yeah, Sarah Connor is like the best part of all those movies. So you got a young Sarah Connor that's the first one.
4: Would you pay to hear an AI rapper? Would you pay money to hear an artificially, artificial intelligencely generated rapper? At least once. Just to compare at and contrast, it,
2: I have to hear it at least once. Um, and if it's bad, you know, then it's like fool me once. But <laughs> so you would go? You would? It, I would you wouldn't absolutely say never. You'd I would. Never say I would never. pay for that concert ticket. All for right.
4: Sure. Would you, uh, after you saw an artificial intelligence rapper who was good, would you never see a human again?
2: Uh, what I would really like to see is a a, a team, a combo. Of a human rapper with an art, with an AI DJ. That's what I really want to see. All
4: right. God, that should be very straightforward over there at my tax AI dollars. AI DJ. Applied physics lab. <laughs> would you accept an artificial intelligence boss?
2: Uh, yes. If it was competent. <laughs> uh, to, to the degree I would, uh, to, I would accept any human boss. They would need to be competent in both cases.
4: All right. Well, that's still a ways off. <laughs> what would you do if you if you you failed a Turing test?
2: I would celebrate. <laughs> You'd sell why would you celebrate? Uh well, what was my goal in the whole thing?
4: Yeah, what I was guess, your goal? I think your uh, uh, I, I, I,
2: I think your goal is to find out if
3: you're human or if the standard for human yeah. has kind of uh, AI has driven up the standard, and you no
2: longer. Need I would it. I would guess that my goal would have been to fail it, and that would have made it a fun thing to do. So uh, I would okay. celebrate oh, having failed. That's probably the reason whoa. I would have done it in the first place. Whoa! Oh, it's you're like gaming like meta, the system, man. Yes, it's gaming meta. the system. <laughs>
3: oh, you want you want you want out? You're like you know what? I'm I'm through with this job. I'm gonna I'm gonna fail the Turing test and go go retire. <laughs> yeah, that's right.
4: Thank you again. What a great discussion this has been. Uh, Ashley Lawrence has been our guest. You are, sir, the chief of the Intelligence Systems Center at Johns Hopkins. Applied Physics Lab in Laurel, Maryland. This has been a fantastic discussion. Uh, Good luck with uh, Solstice Records out there.
2: Thank you very much. (laughs) Much appreciated.
4: Uh, So, as you may know, I'm Bill Nye.
3: And I am Corey S. Powell.
4: And when it comes to the artificially intelligent part of our universe, science science rules. rules. If you like Science Rules, and I hope you do, please take a moment to rate and review it in Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. It helps us out. It helps you out. It helps us provide you a better project, a product. And it helps other people learn about the show so they, too, can turn it up loud. It's a deep learning process, Bill. Yes! Science Rules is produced by Jordan Bell. Our engineer today is Casey Halford, who also did the mix and the original theme music. Uh, special thanks, of course, to Claire Rawlinson. Chris Bannon is the chief content officer, the CCO here at Stitcher, where science rules.
1: Stitcher.